Khabib time. Yeah, uh, uh, Javier's over there right now. He's uh, in Dagestan right now training uh, Khabib over there. Getting ready for their September re return against Dustin Poirier. That should be a good uh, good fight. And then you hear the talks of uh, Justin Gaethje talking about how he can stop Khabib's wrestling and that that's the only fight really to make. I'm a little uh, suspect of that, but I mean, I think it is. I think it does make for a good fight, though. I think uh, I think I think Gaethje is definitely somebody who poses probably one of the bigger threats uh, to to Khabib. skipping what, what's going on no that's fine that's just on that's on our side this is uh this is them over here just nice. um guys can you all hear okay oh there we go audio went out so the so that was because i turned down the live audio by by mistake dave's figuring this out guys give producer dave a little bit um a little bit of leeway here it's his first time ever having live anything i don't know how he even made a baby but, uh, <laughs> he, he watches a lot of porn so uh, all right, so let's uh, I, I, right now. Look, we've got a busy week this whole week. We're just gonna drop this real quick. Probably won't spend too much time on this. Uh, this was something that Dave wanted to play around with is the live video, but we also have a huge week this week coming up. Uh, tomorrow morning, we've got Alima Lay McFarland, she'll be on. Also, t later in the afternoon, we've got Big John McCarthy. Uh, later in the afternoon, and then uh, there's some other chances of s somebody else that I would like to try to get on. He's, uh, we're trying to arrange the flights and the time and everything for that when he comes in for Bellator this weekend at the SAP Arena in San Jose. So that should be fun, man. So we have a pretty busy day tomorrow. Can can you, uh, real quick, just post a picture uh, on Instagram and, and do the swipe up for Josh Thompson official and so that people will know how to watch us live right now? Oh, what's that? Just go on your Instagram real quick and post that you're live right now. Oh, uh, you want me to post a picture of you? Whatever you want to post, bro. Uh, you, you you need you need a good a good face. So obviously. Oh, not you then. No, not no, no. you. That's okay. you're you're mistaken. All right, so what are we doing right here? Oh, yeah, oh look at that. Oh, we got Nate in the background. Post that in your. Uh, oh yeah, you got young Nate. Oh, what's this? Who's that? Who's that right there? Oh no, wait this way. My hands aren't long. I need to get longer hands, guys. I'm a small guy. Uh oh. Um. Okay. All right. So, anyways, let's uh, let's talk this weekend's fights. So we have a huge card this weekend. We got, like I said, we got Lima Lay on uh, tomorrow. We got Big John McCarthy on tomorrow. Uh, so make sure you guys uh, listen up for that. We'll have her talk about what's what what to expect from this weekend against Vita Ortega, and uh, that should be to me that's gonna be probably one of the fight of the, if not the fight of the night uh, from this whole card. So that should be a great fight. I'm excited. I want to know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask her this tomorrow. But I want to know if there's a hangover from the huge win that she had over Valerie Laterna, Laterna, uh in Hawaii. And I want to know if it's affected like her mindset in a positive way, or if is it is it made her a little bit more complacent. Obviously, the week of the fight, she feels probably 100%. But I, my my always my biggest concern is that our fighters. Are they happy with having that one big performance and then now they just never live up they, they they never really try to live up to that one big performance her bringing uh mma back to hawaii her having a huge win um there you know in hawaii in her hometown family friends everything like that i mean and just just to defend her title there and to get a big win over someone like valerie like that those are things that 
sometimes fighters get complacent after the fact, after they fight. And I want to know how the, if that if she had any of that kind of withdrawal or that effect after that uh, with her training. Did she, was it harder for her to get back into it because she has been a lot more busy now with media, PR, uh, lots of traveling, a lot more, a lot more uh, media coming her way now. So she's been a lot busier. I do know that you know there's other things that Bellator's working on with her. So all you know, being being the champion, like it's it's a lot harder for you to get your your diet your daily grind workouts in, you know, uh, all the time. So that's something I want to you know figure out with her tomorrow and see how she's been able to work around that and any anything that she has any input on Vita and how she thinks that how she thinks the fight's gonna go down. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk about her deep sea, like basically her deep diving uh, uh, workouts that she does uh, in San Diego where they, they do that deep water pool dives where they play games underneath and like, like try to choke each other, armbar each other. It's pretty dope. It looks pretty cool. I don't know, I'm a little uh, little shaky when people start trying to choke me underwater of all things. So uh, th those are things that I think are going to be fun to, to figure out tomorrow. And obviously, big John McCarthy coming on. And of course, you know, I'm going to talk to him and throw him under the bus about the whole pit bull head. But me and him and that type of thing, I'm going to let everyone know exactly how I feel about big John McCarthy. Anyways, but that'll be good. I mean, I'm going to have a good time, man. Tomorrow, we're going to we're going to do that. Wrap that up. And, uh, you know, and then obviously we'll talk. I'm going to talk to fights right now real quick. Uh, you know, basically just the main card and we'll we'll go over it, man. Um, Pull up the. What do you got? You got questions first. It's up to you. What do you want to do first? Let's do, let's do the questions first. All right. So there's a lot of questions. So I know you're gonna want to just kind of burn burn through them uh -huh. uh, at whatever speed you want. So uh, uh. first question comes from uh, Gideon Doyle. Who do you got, Robert Whitaker, or Israel Adesanya, and why? So who do I have for what? Uh, who do you have for Robert Whitaker versus uh, Israel Adesanya? Uh, I got, I, I've got Whitaker. I think um, I think Whitaker is used to dealing with with any type of stand up guy. Uh, he also has the ability to get the takedown if he needs. He's not a big guy. He's but he is bigger than Gaslam. Gaslam was able to to land some good clean shots on Adesanya, and I think is the fight goes on, Whitaker will have that same type of effect and appeal. But except he's got a little bit more power, I think, in his hands. So that going on, I think that I think that that's going to probably end up being something that that plays dividends for him as especially as the fight goes on. Whitaker's got the power to knock him out where Gaslam was the smaller 185 pounder and just didn't quite have that full power to like really drop him and get him, you know, put put him completely out and he was able to land some good shots. Now, you could say on the flip side, Gaslam's I think a little bit faster um than than Robert Whitaker. Whitaker has a little bit tighter defense. Whitaker fights a little bit safer of a fight. Whitaker's got a little bit more uh, of a more of a defensive style, counter style, but he can walk you down as well and land big shots. He can also, I think, get the fight to the ground with his bigger body frame in in that body lock, body clinch position, pressing to the fence, anything along those lines. I don't know if that's where he'll go with it, but I think that he has that option if he wants it there. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy to take Adesanya down, but I think that he has the availability and options to do that. Whereas Gaslam. Um, he had a harder time getting in on the legs. He had a harder time getting those takedowns. Had a harder time holding down because he was not. He is not the bigger of the two fighters, and it was very evident right when the fight started that he was definitely not going to be the the bigger of, of the two, even after they made weight. So, uh, that's just my take on that fight. Question. Uh, next question is: A, do you think Max should have put on some muscle for Dustin's? For Dustin, he looked fucking tiny in there. Dustin looked like he had a good 20 pounds or more on Max, and that's from Clayton Funky Funk. 
Yeah, let me let me explain this to you guys. Okay, those of you guys that are at home uh, listening to this conversation right now, this thing right now. Let me explain to you. He jumped up from trying to fight at 145 to 155. Now, had he waited another five months, six months, and and just kept the weight on and built the muscle up and basically just got used to training at that weight instead of always having to worry about his weight and dialing it back down to 145, I think that he he would have definitely had a better performance. Look, you can't knock anything that he did. He did a great job. He had a tough fight. Dustin Poirier went through the same thing that he was going through with where Max Max was had struggled one time to make weight, was having some issues with the 155 pound division when he was supposed to fight Khabib. And the thing is, Dustin got tired of trying to make that 145 pound weight class and finally just like screw it and made his weight back up to 54, made his way up to 55 and he's looked great since then. Now, I'm not saying that Max should go to 55, and I'm saying that I think he could if he wants to. But the fact that I'm, talk I'm talking about this is because it just takes time to get your body up to par with everybody else. If you've been used to fighting at 55 or 45, you can't try to think you're going to jump in with all those guys at 155, and those, those guys are going to be uh, big. I mean, sure, maybe you had a little bit of the speed advantage, but you just didn't have the pop and the power that you did at 145. And... Um, I you can you can guys can say what you guys want about like say like guys like Connor and stuff, but I think that Connor kind of always knew he was gonna fight at 55 after he had beat Jose Aldo, and he had taken there was time there was plenty of time for him to put that weight on, plenty of time in all the conversations. It was months before he actually even decided to fight again uh, and make that decision. I think he knew once he fought at 55 that he was gonna end up going to four, to to 50, or 45. He's gonna end up going to 55. So he's got a big body frame as well. I think Max just. If he wants to go to 55, he needs to spend probably like a good five or six months. Not, not I don't want to say like lifting or doing it, but like just being a little bit more on the on the the strength and conditioning portion of of his uh, of his uh, workout routines. I I think I think he'd probably be a pretty dominant force at 155 as well. I mean, he's nasty good, man. I mean, like and for him to step up and fight someone like Dustin Poirier and. And you got to remember, though, too, is that when you've already had lost to somebody, there's a little bit of a mental note in there also. And I think with Dustin, there was already a mental note in there, too, that he'd beat him and he knew he could probably do it again. There was confidence that he had coming in there, whereas Max, I'm sure, was extremely confident as well. But I think after the first couple uh, big shots that landed, that'll start chipping away a little bit at your confidence as the fight goes on. Now, there was never a moment where I was like, oh, shit, he's, you know, he's getting outclassed. It was just that it just wasn't his night, man. You have those fights where you're, it's just not your night. And that, I, I felt like that was one of those nights that he just, every time he looked like he was about to start doing something and doing well, you know, Dustin answered with big punches and was able to kind of knock him off balance with his, with his power. And that kind of led into to the fight going the way it was throughout every round. So, um, but anyone talking about the Max fight, like, look, the kid's a warrior. The kid's an absolute animal. Um, it, I think he can make a run of 55 as well, but he just needs to take a little bit of time, six, six to eight months or six months of just strengthening and conditioning, building up on his uh, muscle endurance and things like that that will give him the pop as he gets to 155. Um, next, up, next one? Yeah, yeah, next one. So the 368 asks, is there an MMA fighter who nobody knows about, who you train with, or coach that we should keep an eye out for in the near future? Uh, no, not not anyone that I train with. I mean, there's some tough guys. There's a young kid that I that I actually specifically train myself. He's a young kid, but he just can't, he just actually he's 20, 21 years old, just turned twenty one. He's a baby. He's uh, I want to say he's 
three three and zero as an MMA guy. He's been with AKA for you know for a while now. He fought kickboxing. He's fought kickboxing a bunch of times. Young kid. I've known him since he was like eight years old. His name's Mark Klebako. The only issue that we have with him is that is that he's a 125 pounder. So going to 125 at the UFC. You just don't know if they're going to keep the division around for too long. Bellator doesn't have the 125-pound division. Occasionally, they'll throw a 125-pound fight in there. It's just one of those things. I just I don't see. He's kind of in limbo. So, like, right before he actually just tore his ACL, so he's going to be out for at least six months to eight months. Like I said, he's a young kid, but he works hard, extremely talented, really good on the feet, really good on the ground. He's been uh, he's been getting a lot better as time has gone on, and uh, just phenomenal young young athlete. And I'm excited to see like what the future holds. He gets he's got to come back, get healthy, and uh, and uh, you know he's got he's got a win in Bellator as well. He's got a, I want to say it's a first round stoppage, knee to the body, uh, you know, and things like that. So he he's got all the abilities to do what he a young Filipino kid. He's got all the abilities he needs to be to be a world champion. The problem is I don't really foresee them keeping the 125 pound weight class around too long in the UFC. So you're not really giving those kids anywhere else to go. And um, it's hard. It's he would be probably the only one that I would say out of AKA that's young and talented that I'd really like kind of sticking my finger on and be like, hey, this kid's this kid's the real deal. Next question. Yep. Um, Brian Yoshi says, can you discuss how much the UFC makes per pay per view event based on two fifty k, five hundred k, one million buys, etc. And throw in all the sponsorship, marketing, operating costs, ESPN Plus contract, how the how little pay the fighters get. Uh, the net for UFC must be a lot because we all know the fighters don't get much uh, unless they are a big draw. Just trying to understand the net profits for UFC versus how crappy they're paying their fighters. With other sports, athletes get bigger piece of the pie. So trying to understand what percent of profits they pay fighters for example some sources say that floyd connor did 4.3 million buys equals 440 uh, 438 dollars i think he means million dollars mm-hmm. they also say that floyd made 300 million uh, and for and something or made 100 million maybe he went through mcgregor, there. And McGregor made, made 100 million yeah, and, yeah. and what's his name made 430 over 90 percent of just pay-per-view <laughs> revenue so what percent is ufc paying their fighters uh, that's the question yeah, I mean, look, there's I could there's so much to get into. Like, I don't know what the actual sponsors are paying them per sponsor, so I can't give you those numbers on pay per view. It really depends on which fighter is making what on pay per view numbers. So, like, if DC is making three dollars a pay per view buy or four dollars a pay per view buy, then it, obviously the numbers that he gets paid would be different than if, if somebody that is only making a dollar fifty to a dollar seventy five or two dollars per pay per view buy. So you're losing those numbers when the, it depends on who's on the card. It's which is what is based around. Uh, as far as sponsorships, I really couldn't tell you on who is which sponsors are paying the most and which ones are paying what I, I couldn't tell you that as well but just so just before we get into this whole uh, argument and I'm actually sometimes the first one to, to bash the UFC when they're doing something wrong but the issue is though is that look in, in all fairness when you go to a boxing match you talk about Floyd Mayweather and all and and what and what McGregor made there was only like I want to say there was only like seven or eight fights on the whole card the UFC puts 14 to 15 or 16 fights on a card okay not only that but then they're also they're also spending millions and millions of dollars on promoting whatever the card is. So even though they're only promoting, even only you you only see like Instagram posts or you see things that they're marketing. They're dude, they're marketing everywhere they can. They're marketing in Russia. They're marketing in Brazil. They're marketing in Canada. They're marketing. So whatever you see here in the states is just a small small portion of the amount of money they spend to market worldwide. 
So, and then that's how their, that's how their brand became so big is they made sure that they didn't just market in small little areas of the world. They made sure that they marketed in Canada. They marked, they marketed it in uh, Japan. They marketed it in the U S Brazil, Sweden, UK. I mean, they're, they're Ireland. They're, they're marketing everywhere. So they're not just marketing for one little area of the world. Like we're right now with Bellator, right? Like they spent a ton of money in marketing. But the thing is, is that right now, a lot of their focus is on the UK market and the, and the US market. Those are the two main areas that they are, they're spending all their marketing. We haven't had a fight in Canada. We haven't had a fight in Brazil. We haven't had a fight in Japan, which from what I understand, there's a potential of that happening. But the thing is, they're not spending that, the amount of money that the UFC is on for marketing, you know, dollar wise out there and about. So you have to cut them a little bit of slack also too. It's 14, you have 13, 14, 12, whatever it is, 12 to 14 fights every card. You know, so that's 20, you know, let's just say that's 24 to 28 fighters that you're paying. And then just the top echelon of guys is making a ton of money. Okay, they're making good money, you know, between 320 to 400 or 500,000. I mean, that's pretty good money. I understand that it's not a lot for what you see when you're talking Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor and those guys. But let's just understand they're, they're spending a ton of money on marketing and advertisement to help build their brand, to help grow it. So every, there are more fights that fighters can fight more often and make a living. I mean, it, there's a bunch of different ways that you could weigh this this out, and I think that I think that the thing is, is they have a ton of fights that are worldwide that are giving fighters that that just don't want to work a nine to five or don't fit the mold for a nine to five or don't want to work in a cubicle or don't want to be a teacher. They don't want to do all these things. They want to do what they love, and they're gonna they're gonna maybe take a little bit less, but they're getting all the money in the lump sum all up front. That's the other thing that people need to understand is. Some of these fighters can be teachers. Some of them can be whatever, you know, police officers. They can be all those things. But then you got to remember, in one fight, in one fight, they're making what they would make in a year to be a police officer or be a teacher or anything along those lines. So if they're making 50 to 70 grand, whatever it is, 80 grand, 100 grand, whatever, they're already making just as, as much as they would be making if they were a teacher in some of these states. So before we before we start criticizing them for what they're paying the fighters, which I'm 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 generally always backing like, uh, yeah, the fighters deserve to get paid more because I w I'm, I'm a fighter. So, of course, I would think to myself, like, hey, I always want to get paid more. But when you actually sit down and do the numbers and I own a couple businesses and I understand, like, it's not as easy as just saying like, oh, hey, the gym made this much or the or the fight promotion made this much and the fighters made this much. It's not always that easy. That's why they took that deal with ESPN and ESPN Plus to do their pay-per-views. They're guaranteed to make a certain amount of money for their athlete are guaranteed to make a certain amount of money for their pay-per-views 500,000 they guaranteed them 500,000 pay-per-view buys and I believe anything after the 500,000 they split 50-50 I think the UFC would have been stupid not to take that now what's that what that's done though is got rid of the fact that these guys that are demanding big money fights those fights are no longer available so that's what that's what's going to happen so I really couldn't tell you. I mean, maybe if the pay-per-views are only doing 240, 220, 200, something like that. I don't know how the pay-per-view buys works out for like DC. If he's getting paid four dollars per pay-per-view buy, is he making? Is he still getting paid on the actual 500 plus 500 pay-per-view buys that the ESPN is paying for, or is he only getting paid on the ones that are actually bought? I mean, is it guaranteed? Is he, is he getting paid for the guaranteed that ESPN guaranteed them paying them for the 500,000 uh, pay-per-view buys? Or is he only getting paid for the actual real number that was bought? I couldn't tell you. I don't know that yet. Next, Any, question? next question. So, um, Lee the Flea uh, asks, what do you think of Firas Zahibi's recent PED allegations against your boy uh, John Fitch? 
Uh, I know Fidge had the one positive test result, but he's been open about it and says that he hasn't roided before or since. Uh, Zahibi used very strong words such as calling Fitch a coward. What do you think of this? For us, Zabi? Yeah, it's for us. Yeah, for us. Yeah, for us. I mean, like, look, every coach has their opinion, you know, and and uh, I'm not going to stand up here and criticize John Jones and and criticize Anderson Silva and all these other guys and not sit here and criticize John Fitch. John John Fitch made a mistake. Made a mistake, man. Stupid, dumb. Shouldn't have done it, you know. And that's that's just the way it goes. I mean, like I can't I can't sit up here and and, and protect him and say that he did he, sh- he shouldn't have done it. So no matter what I say, it doesn't make a difference. He got he did it. He got caught. He filed his he he uh what's it called? Served his suspension. And there's nothing else I could do on it. Now there was never he he's never been brought up in the goat conversation. The conversation to talk about him being the goat. So that's that's always what my criticism is about. Like. The, my it's my criticism's always about like look if you've been caught once I'm all for giving you a little bit for forgiveness but you've been caught twice you've been caught once you've been caught once you're not in that conversation anymore as being the being in the conversation of the goat that's not it's not even an option I don't even think I don't even think it should be an option for you to be in that conversation like if you tested positive for steroids in baseball you should not be allowed in that you should have an asterisk next to your name in that home run derby race you know you have guys you have guys that are at the top you should that maybe they were doing it back in the Hank Aaron era, you know, but we don't know, you know, and that's the thing. And it's hard. It's hard. And I doubt, I, I doubt it. Just to be honest. I just, I personally doubt it, but maybe they were, but, um, I think they were more alcoholics and smoke and smokers back then, you know? So it's just a different, different era and guys are trying to get a step up and an edge up. And I think John tried to do that and, and it cost him now. I just I can't I can't really say much about it, man. He got you know he made a mistake, stupid, and I feel the same way about all those other guys. They they got busted and caught, but we're not having that conversation about whether he's in the goat conversation or not. And that's that was the whole argument and the whole conversation that I have with with you guys every time I talk to you guys is that these guys that you're trying that people are trying to push down other people's throats like John Jones or Anderson Silva, they've been caught for cheating. And you're not going to continue to tell me that they're the best fighters in the world when they've been caught and not just caught once, but sometimes twice, you know, and it's just, it's not, it's a, it's an accumulation of things, you know, and I don't want to have that conversation. It's like, it's not, they shouldn't even be in the conversation. You, I mean, GSP has never been caught. So to me right now, he's at the top of the list. Okay. I'll always have BJ Penn there because he was doing things before people were talking about him doing things, you know, and I know for a fact that he's just, he's never been a cheater. He's not the guy, he dude, he, You've seen his weight fluctuate up and down from be fighting guys, you know, like Lyoto at 220, being fat and out of shape, you know, and fighting guys like Takanori going where he got his weight down, and you know he had the he had the Rumble on the Rock promotion bouncing off of his back, juggling on his back, carrying it on his back to make sure that that promotion was successful because it was basically like family owned. And so when we're talking about the guys that are at the top, I mean, I've I feel like I've got Fedor in there. It's just obviously in pride. It was the, I don't want to call it the wild, wild west, but it was pretty close to the wild, wild west. You know, so you really don't know. You know a lot of those guys were juicing, and let's just not beat around the bush. But he never looked the part. He never seemed like he was. But, you know, you just you just never know. I just, there was a lot of speculation around GSP also, but he was never tested, he never tested positive. So until people had tested positive, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm going to feel like you're innocent. So right now, the three guys that I have up there is uh, Fedor, GSP, and BJ Penn. And somewhere in there, like, I don't know if he's in the top five, but he's there, he's Randy Couture. Um, you know, I have him there, man. And uh, it's a, it's one of those things. It's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird position I have him in. I just... 
he was always the guy. He won he won the light heavyweight title. He won the heavyweight title. So I have him in that mix. You know, he, they were like the first ones to do it. Him and BJ winning two titles, two different weight classes. You know, those were the guys that kind of set the set the gold standard for these guys to get to to wanting to have two titles and to want to have three titles and to wanting to be a, a champ champ. You know, these guys were doing that back in the day. So um, I don't know. I, f I feel like that the. That, that's kind of my Mount Rushmore of guys. When I'm having that conversation with the, about John Fitch, he's not on that list. And I love John. John's my boy. But it, it's that's the conversation that we talk about mainly on this show. So that leads perfectly into the uh, the next question, which is, why do you put GSP above DC in terms of GOAT status? DC started the sport when he was 30. He won a world title every three years. His only loss is to a guy that tested positive for steroids. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason being is because you're... Um, you act you act as if like G, that Daniel didn't come from a sport that actually is very dominant in this sport is wrestling. He came from he came from wrestling, and so it's not like he was like sitting on the sideline not doing shit. The guy was competing in the Olympics or part of the Olympic team. So let's not sit on the side and say like, oh yeah, the guy never trained before in his life. He never was never was an athlete. Maybe he doesn't look like an athlete, but dude, the dude's a fucking athlete. So when you're talking, we're having this conversation about like, oh, you don't you put him up there. I think he's on that. He's in that threshold right there. I mean, beating Stipe the way he beat Stipe. I mean, that's pretty impressive. He's always been better. I felt like at heavyweight than he was at 205, anyways. But um, I don't think there's anyone outside of John Jones that can touch him at 205. I would like to see them fight at heavyweight. I just know it's not going to happen. I've had my conversations and my talks with their manager with because we have the same managers. And I've had the conversations and talked with DC. And I don't really think that there's any reason to have that fight. Um, and they don't think that as well. I mean, it's like once somebody's been busted, not once but twice, but for cheating, like you just get to the same, you get to the same. And now with all this whole like picograms, they're going to continue letting him fight and. It just starts getting weird, man. The whole USADA thing, it's crooked, it's this, it's that. No one knows. No, we're all going to sit up here and tell you, like, I think it's crooked. And nobody knows. No one really, no one actually really knows for a fact what the backdoor dealings are with USADA and if it's crooked or not. Okay? So when we're having this conversation, I think the conversation comes down to that John, that he has lost to John Jones, um, tainted him on being part of that Mount Rushmore of guys. And people want to say that, oh, he came in at 30 years old. That has nothing to do with it, man. Dude, if you're a fucking gunslinger on the feet, if you're a gamer, like he, first thing he did, one of his very first fights is, don't worry about me, Bob. He told Bob Cook, our manager in the back, he's like, don't worry about when it's game time. It's game time. I'm a goer. So that's the one. He's a gamer, man. That's one thing he's always been. He's a gamer. So the fact that he's, um, when someone, when the, when the bright lights turn on, he can perform. He's not the best performer in the gym. I can tell you that fucking from experience. But when it comes to him being a performer, when those lights turn on, he can fucking do it. He can turn that switch on. And so is he in that mix? Is he in that conversation? I think he is. But it's not quite, to me, I feel like he's not quite there. It's like, it's there. But I, I can't, I can't very well, the, he, it's, it's not a big enough platform of work that I think he's done yet. That's the only thing. I think it's because he did start maybe when he was 30. You know, you have guys like Randy who did it for years and years. BJ Penn doing it for years and years. You know, GSP years and years. And and I'm not trying to take that away from Daniel. Daniel's done a lot of great things in such a short period of time. Uh, and I don't know really what it would take for me to put him there. I think he's in that mix. Like, he's one step away from being there. I think Jose Aldo's probably in that mix as well. The only thing keeping him from is his loss from to Connor. That hurt him. And uh, because of the way it happened. And then also, too, the fact that he never went up to 55 to fight someone at 55. So those are the two things that I think kind of affects him being in that, that top list. I would put DC above Aldo, but not by much. And then the next step guy and the next guy down would be, to me, 
Jose Aldo, you know, so it'd be DC like he's on that threshold of being the, you know, the number, the number five guy on that, that uh, list. Um, so from Johnny Utah, uh, he asks, Josh, are you going to see the new Aven Avengers Endgame this week? Uh, and then also, he asks, also, who you got, Jordan or Ben? I'm not quite, I'm not entirely sure who Jordan or Ben is. George. Jordan. George or Ben Askren. Oh, Jordan Burroughs. Oh, he's talking, probably talking Jordan Burroughs or Ben Askren. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's because they're going to do, um, what's it called? Uh, wrestling in Madison Square Garden. Uh, I think it's called Beat the Streets. So they're going to be there uh, wrestling there. Look, man, right now Jordan's been wrestling nonstop all the time. I'm going to go with Jordan. Ben's got the funky wrestling, but I just don't think it's going to match up. I think Jordan's just got a little bit too much for him. He's on that competitive level. Now let me give you a for instance, right? Is that DC came off the, the wrestling mats, came into the AKA, started training, started fighting, did big things, won the Strike Force uh, Heavyweight uh, Grand Prix, goes back to the Olympic Training Center and is training with some guys that are basically like trying to make the Olympic team the number one and number two guys. And those and he's just like, man, those guys fucked me up. And not so much as in terms of like they beat him down and fucked him up and made him look bad. It was just, it was something that he lost some takedowns that he would have never have normally lost if he was just wrestling all the time. You know, and Ben Askren, I know he's just wrestling all the time, but he's not wrestling at that level all the time. So when you're talking about someone like Jordan Burroughs, who's got an explosive, explosive double leg, and someone who's just on the beat all the time, just trying to like achieve that goal of getting back to that gold medal, I don't really think that it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a fun match to watch, uh, but I, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think Ben's gonna have that in him right now to beat Jordan. <clears throat> um. I'm just trying to like scan some of these yeah. to see if there's anything. Uh, where, where you at right now? Let's do let's do uh, let's do one more and then we'll talk about Bellator real quick. Actually, we'll talk about Bellator a lot this week. So let's just do let's do two more questions and we'll wrap it. All right, cool. And we'll talk about Bellator uh, tomorrow with the Lee Malay and with Big John. Uh, so this one comes from Blake Oakton. Uh, he asks. You seem to know a lot about behind the scenes uh, of MMA business and pretty transparent about uh, that. Are, he said, you're pretty transparent about that. Are you a special case or does everyone in the business know and just not want to talk about it? Uh, if they do, why don't they talk about it? Love the videos. Keep it up. Uh, I mean, I really don't know what you're specifically talking about. So, like, there's some things that I feel like that people should be transparent about, but they also have jobs with the UFC and with Bellator, and they probably shouldn't talk about it. I also do work for Bellator, but I also understand that there are things that I can talk about without actually giving away anything in the way I present it and the way I approach it. Um, the other thing as well is that I'm always trying to actually promote both organizations. I don't always agree with the UFC and how Dana White does business, and I don't always agree with how Scott Coker does it as well. But guess what? It's not my job. My job is to actually just support both companies because MMA is, I, I've said this I don't know how many times, MMA I feel like came right at the right time in my life and gave me something to like, to push for and want to be part of. And, and it, it actually, I don't want to say it saved my life, but it did did give me a, it gave me um, a purpose of what I wanted to do with my life. I really enjoyed training. I knew I still wanted to be competitive. I found something that I loved. And for, for some people in their life, like for me, what it was is I always knew that I liked to fight. I always got in fights in the street. I always got in fights out on the, you know, when I was out and about at school and all these other things. But the thing was, when you're fighting guys, that, like sure, I had some wrestling backgrounds and I was kind of athletic, but I was always a smaller guy. But when you're fighting guys that you know are not as athletic as you, as no, maybe that you knew that they didn't wrestle or maybe you knew that they just, they weren't, they weren't fighters. They didn't have it in them. 
But when you had to fight somebody that was really tough and somebody that actually had some training and someone that was potentially as good as you, were you as tough as you thought you were or you were, or were you a coward? That was something that always in my mind, I asked my, I asked myself that all the time. And that's the one thing that stuck with me. And I'll give you guys a, for instance, and the, for instance is this with the Jordan Strebent fight. I knew I was, I knew I was a better fighter than him. I knew I could beat him. I knew I could, and this was my first fight in the UFC. And that was going to be someone that I tested myself against. But the thing was, is when I got to Hermes Franca and I was winning the first two rounds and he clipped me and I got dropped. And for the next two and a half minutes, I got the shit kicked out, out of me. I always wanted to know if I was the guy that was getting punched and beat up and bullied and beat down, like somebody in that situation, would I have just turned over and gave him my back and let him choke me out? Or would I have just rolled over and tapped the mat from strikes? Or would I have waved off and try to like just give up a submission or basically just get up in the, you know, curl up in the fetal position. And that was in that, in that moment, in that whole thing, that's what was going through my mind. Like if you quit right now, you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. And that's something that always in my mind stuck with me is I knew that I liked to fight when I was in high school. I knew I liked to get in all these other fights outside, but that's something you're fighting guys that didn't have that mentality of that they were walking around like they could fight anyone. When you get into the cage and you're fighting someone else, he's trained just as hard as you. He knows probably just as much as you, if not more. And you're putting your you're putting you're sacrificing yourself out there to compete against someone who's just as knowledgeable as you. And are you a quitter when the time gets tough during that match? Like, does that person have enough to break you to make you a quitter? And that was something that I always had in my mind. And so, and like I said, that Hermes Franca is like the, even though it, even though. People probably don't remember that fight or whatever that fight was, but to me, that was a fight that I, I felt like that catapulted me to the next level of me mentally understanding what it took to be a fighter. You have to take, sometimes you have to take the punishment in those scenarios and situations and be able to fight through it and understand that you you can't be a quitter. You can't be someone who just gives up if you, know, if you want it. And I ended up getting the win because I knew I won the first two rounds, but it was also like there was a potential there of him finishing me or the ref stopping it and things like that. And you had to keep moving and keep fighting. Otherwise, the ref would have jumped in and stopped the fight. So th that to me is what made me like want to keep fighting or made me want to be a fighter. So the sport itself came to me at a good time. <clears throat> All right, we'll go last one. We'll switch up a little bit because we're going to go back to Bellator, right? Okay. So, so we'll switch up a little bit. So um, uh, Duke Wilkos asks, Hey, Josh, longtime fan. Any new movie roles coming up? I was an extra in that victory by submission movie you did. Mm -hmm. You did a good job and looked like... And looked like you really were related to the lead actor thanks yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh no i haven't really ha i really haven't had any connections with doing any movies as of recently um right now i'm mainly just focused on doing the bellator stuff uh commentary for them doing the desk stuff with them as well doing cage side commentary now and sometimes even back backroom interviews uh with the fighters before they fight um this is this is something that i want to do like movies for me was fun it was something that i always wanted to say that i did and the first time i got presented with the movie i was like all right Let's give it a try. It was something that I think everyone, I think in their mind, wants to know if they can do it or not. And then after working on a couple movies and being on set and understanding what it takes and just realizing that like the hurry up and wait game is not my style. It's like everyone in place, everyone in place. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, the lights aren't working. Everyone settle down. Okay, okay, everyone in place, play. Ready, 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 ready. And then like everyone in place, wait, wait, wait. Okay, the camera's not working. Camera two's not working. Like I, that's not, I think for fighters, it's like, okay, everyone's ready, ready, ready. Okay, let's go. It's fight time. It's ready to go. It just wasn't. It just wasn't for me. Don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed doing it. I liked it. But when you're talking about what I'm doing now, what I'm doing for Bellator, what I'm doing with uh, the case side commentary, covering fighters, talking with fighters, getting an opportunity, a chance to meet with them and and engage with them, this is something that I've I've always wanted to do. I think that 
we need to see a little bit more positivity about talking about our athletes and our fighters, taking all the ones that are actually um, good role models for for the young generation of people that are watching the sport to grow. And that's the some that's the one thing that I want to try to do. That's why I push so hard for uh, people like Alimale McFarlane, Joey Davis, who fights for Bellator, Dustin Poirier, huge fan of him, Frankie Yeager. I, I push for these guys. I constantly try to talk about these about these guys because to me, I feel like they're definitely. They're solid role models as well as just amazing athletes and love to go out there and fight good fights and they try their best to be to be who they are. You know what I mean? And it's like, and this is this is real to them. They they take this very serious and they're they're hard workers. And these are things that I, I want every fight. I want I want to be able to present to the people that are at home watching and, and the kids that are at home watching because we need a whole other generation of young people watching this sport and right now if you actually look at the demographic of the people that are actually watching this sport the demographic is no longer you know 18 to 35 the demographic is now like 28 to like 45 so those guys that were watching it when they were you know 18 they're now older and those are the people that are still following the ones that used to watch Chuck Liddell and BJ Penn back when he first started and and Matt Hughes those those people now are in their late mid 40s or you know getting pushing into their 50s but the new generation of younger kids isn't watching this sport so despite what you what we may think but the young 16 17 18 year olds they're not watching this sport so maybe occasionally they'll catch one whatever it is but they don't really care anymore they, they, the young gen like with me i was trying to watch every every bootleg pay-per-view i could get of the uh, of the UFC at the time, or you know, and then trying to watch Pride whenever I could, showing up at you know, everyone, hey, everyone, come over to our house and try to watch it then, and then that was the whole ordeal that um, that's gone now. So like that generation is not doing it anymore. The younger generation doesn't care about the sport as much. So we're trying to. I feel like we need to make sure that we try to get somebody in there. We try to build a star that gets that that young generation back involved. Did you want to go? To Bellator now? No, no, we'll do Bellator tomorrow. Oh, okay. yeah, let's just do Bellator. We'll do. We'll, we're gonna do Bellator tomorrow with Alima Lay. We'll talk about her fight as well, and I'll talk to her about what other fights that potentially she's definitely interested in watching on this card. And then Big John and I will break down pretty much the whole fight card. I think we'll do that. Okay. Good. Yep. How's that sound? We yeah. ready? Everybody, 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 good. Hey everybody guys, good. sorry we didn't get a chance to answer all the questions. I know there's a ton of questions. Maybe what I'll try to do is I'll try to see if. Uh, Maybe we'll try to do something with Lima Lay tomorrow as well. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. And uh, hit the little, uh, what's it called? Thumbs up. So that'll share our video to other people. And then everyone else can maybe start sharing it as well. I'd truly appreciate it. Let's try and blow this thing up. And uh, tomorrow, big day. Thanks, guys.